uh, our school-age kids can be dismissed into the back with uh, the uh, Loaches and the Phillips. Uh, God bless you guys today. And so um, uh, let me pray for us as, as we get started. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we're reminded this morning at how powerful your name, your name is. It's powerful enough to save uh, wretched sinners like us. It's powerful enough to bring death to life. It's powerful enough to, to bring the sick to being healed. It's powerful enough to, take, to bring light into darkness, Father. And Lord, today as we celebrate life and we celebrate mothers today, Father, let us mostly just celebrate your gospel. Because it's your gospel, it is your good news that brings true life, that brings eternal life, that brings a life overflowing with joy. So, Father, move in our hearts today, Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Church, and um, really excited to preach this morning. Um, I've been on sabbatical for about two, two and a half months. Um, so good news and bad news. Um, the, the good news is, is I'm refreshed. I feel good. The bad news is I'm ready to preach. And it's like Mother's Day and y'all ready to go eat. And so, but here's the truth is um, today we're going to preach the gospel. Um, we desperately need to hear the gospel today. And so as we think about these little lives that we just saw this morning and that we're going to see later and that are all throughout this building, Right? We've been given this great task as parents, as grandparents, as aunts, as uncles, as friends, as members of the body of Christ to raise these kids up, right? But the truth is, um, if you've ever been around kids for more than five minutes, this is really, really, really hard. I'll just, um, this is a safe place to be honest this morning, I feel like. So yesterday, this is yesterday. I have been on a sabbatical, a Christian sabbatical for like two and a half months of walking with God in deep, profound ways, in his word, in prayer, learn how to love my family correctly. And about two o'clock yesterday, uh, my son had the audacity to get an ear infection. And he was just so rude to do that. Uh, we had plans. He, he, did, he, knew, he knew this. And so, and I, I'm good at first, right? So he comes in. This is very sad. I sound so mean right now. But he comes in, and he's crying. He says, my ear hurts. My ear hurts. And I'm compassionate, very compassionate, actually. I'm like, it's okay. Let me look at it. Like, I, like I can do anything. And, um, and, uh, and so we, we say, okay, we have plans. Well, you know what? We have to go to the doctor because you got this ear thing. I don't want you crying all night. You're in pain. We, I take him to the doctor. I am so loving. I am so patient. Like, oh, here's a sticker. Hey, the doctor's so good. I'm doing so good. And um, we uh, get his medicine. This is where it goes badly. Um, we get his medicine, and we head home. And, all right, so long story here. Apparently, when I was a kid, I didn't take medicine well. I don't believe this because I'm not picky at all now. And so, I'm, so we get Hayes. And he needs like three things of medicine, which is like, you know, hell on earth for Hayes. And we have these three syringes lined up. The other kids are in the car, like screaming, and we're trying to get Hayes' medicine very quickly. And so 
Tracy's on one half of them, I'm on the other half of them. And like, we go, syringe, and like, boom, syringe, boom, syringe, boom. And he spits it literally all over my face. Literally all over my face. And I'm still good. Like, I'm exhausted, but I'm good. And so, like, okay, we got to go get in the car because, you know, we got we to go eat. And so we go get in the car, and Hay's been buckling his seatbelt for about a week and a half now. And he is crying because he is literally just so, bless his heart, so emotional. I'm still good at this moment. And he's trying to get his seatbelt buckled. Poor guy, I feel so bad right now. He's trying to get it buckled. He's trying to get it buckled. And I, at that moment, buckle your seatbelt. I literally scream. And of course, he doesn't like, he just cries so much more. And like, oh gosh, it gets better though. And so we're, we're, we're driving off to go eat. And Tracy just jokingly says this right here. Oh, we need a drink, <laughs> like that. And I go, well, that won't help anything. Just like that. Like the absolute worst thing in the world you could possibly say in that moment. And so I say all of this to say this is really, really, really hard. And I feel like all of us have this idea with our kids. And if you don't have kids, you might have thoughts about how our kids should be raised as well. And they're probably true. But we have this goal And this is where we get off, I think, a little bit. This is where I get off, that sometimes our supreme goal is this right here. We want to raise well-mannered, good citizen, smart, hard-working kids. All really good things, right? Those are all really, really good things. But they're not, hear this, they're not ultimate things. We were just singing songs about the powerful name of Jesus. Those are good things. Those are not powerful, ultimate things. And so we have these kids in church, and because we're trying to raise well-mannered, good kids, we're always focusing on these externals, right? So a a four-year-old doesn't buckle his belt in two seconds, and we lash out at them. Because we're raising these kids sometimes just to be good citizens and to not bother us sometimes. And so we're doing this, and we're we're just focusing on these externals. We're focusing on outside of the cup. And we're not focusing on getting into the hearts of our child's life. And we know this because we get more mad at our kids in public than we do at home. Like if you're, so if your kid at your house is doing some things, you don't care. But But if you're like at a restaurant, or God forbid church, and your kid says one thing, you just lash out. And it's because they're projecting, they're not projecting the right image you want people to see your kids as being am I the one that does it are we all we all good here and here's the deal this idea this is the story of us it's not just our kids this is a story of humanity right we all live our lives focusing on the externals on focusing on outside of the cup and many of you in this room have played religion and you're tired because you're focusing on outside of the cup so what is the aim if we're talking about, if we're talking about um, gospel parenting, what is the aim? What is, what is the goal of gospel parenting? Let's go to Ephesians 6. And this is a passage you probably have heard before been in church at all. It's a, a scripture that I, that I read to my kids a lot, as you'll see why. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Amen. For this is right. 
honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long and in the land. It sounds so good on, on honor and obey. And you get in the middle of the war with your kids and it's not that easy, right? Honor and obey is this almost impossible task. And it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger with the seatbelt, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And there's two things in this passage I want to start with. Children, obey your parents in what? The Lord. Bring them up in the, in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. It doesn't say the teacher or the prophet or the helper. It says the Lord. We bring our kids, we point our kids, we raise our kids to see that Jesus is Lord. Which means Jesus is supreme. Which means his name is powerful. His name is wonderful. His name is beautiful. We point our kids and teach them that Jesus is the Lord. Look at Philippians 2. This is a great picture of what it looks like to see Jesus as Lord. Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You're pointing your kids to see that Jesus' name is above every name. It is above your name. It is above their favorite character's name. It is above the president's name. It is above the, the most popular person in the world's name. Jesus' name is above every name. And we so quickly forget this. And we live our lives celebrating sports stars, celebrating politicians, celebrating movie stars. And we unintentionally teach our kids that these names are so high and so wonderful and so powerful and they're nothing compared to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Because here's why. No one is going to bow at the name of some football player. It says here in verse 10, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We are pointing our kids, we are raising our kids to see that Jesus is Lord. And when they see that Jesus is Lord, everything changes. Because if Jesus is truly Lord, our kids don't live in worry about what's next. I feel like so many times as parents, we watch the news, and there are some dark things happening. And it is crazy in our country, and all these things are true. But if Jesus is Lord, whom shall I fear? If Jesus is Lord, why should we worry? They could take our bodies, they'll never take our souls if Jesus is Lord. But we don't live that way. We live as if our house is Lord, or our finances are Lord, or our jobs are Lord, or vacation is Lord, or our comforts are Lord. We don't live as if Jesus is Lord. To say he is Lord is to say he is more powerful than any superhero. He is more knowledgeable than even Google. Can you imagine that? We think, I can do anything in Google. And it's just not even just to the nth degree of the knowledge and the sovereignty and the wisdom of God. 
That should lead us to worship something, to worship God. He tells a better story than any movie out there. Our kids get wrapped up in these just great heroic stories. That's so good. The greatest story ever told is the story of the gospel. And our kids have got to see that as supreme. We're teaching them that Jesus is Lord. He is supreme. He's the goal. He's the end of Christian parenting. To raise up men and women who see Jesus as king, friends, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, all of you that are here today. Think about these babies. Think about your kids. And do you just ever imagine what their future is going to be like? They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to do this. And our kids are so different and they're so creative and that God just gives them to us and say, here you go. I pray for my kids. I pray for your kids that they see Jesus is Lord. And it creates kids who don't live in fear. And it creates kids who just serve others because they've been served by Jesus. And they give away their money because they see things are broken in the world and they want to be a part of restoring that world. And they live lives full of joy because Jesus is Lord and he's good and he's in control and we have nothing to fear and we're thankful and we're lives full of joy. That's what I pray for our kids. I don't just pray for good jobs and a college education. Those are all good things. But God has much greater things planned for our kids than that. Can you imagine what our kids could do? Little warriors for the kingdom of God. I'll be gone in probably like 30 years tops at my weight. That's the way it is. I'm sorry. I have life insurance. It's all good. But the truth is our kids, our legacy, my grandkids, my great-grandkids could live with this joy of knowing that Jesus is Lord and could change Shreveport Bossier. I was, thinking, I was reading uh, this article by John Piper this week, a famous pastor in Minnesota. And his father was this little Baptist evangelist that just did this for years, not a huge thing. But he raised up this man of God who's done great things for the kingdom. What could our kids do for the kingdom of God? That should excite us today. But here's the problem. <laughs> we get excited about this. I get excited about this, but here's the problem. I'm still the person that yelled at Hayes yesterday about a seatbelt. How can this selfish, impatient person raise this kid to see that Jesus is Lord? That's all of our problems today, is that we see this vision of the kingdom of God, and we, we are excited about this. We're drawn to this, but there's something that is broken inside of us again. Look at Ephesians 6 again. It says in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So with honor and obey, it was, it was fathers and it was mothers. But on this part about provoking your children to anger, he talks to fathers. And you know, the church has really messed up this idea of spiritual leadership. When it's become more about barking rules or barking commands or being served, which is so funny because in Ephesians 5 it says, Husbands, love your wife like Christ loves the church. There is nothing in that picture about being served. It's about serving, wringing out your life for your family. 
what leading your family really means, fathers, is you go first. Many times, this is true in my home, I set the tone in my home. And fathers, when you come in, you're distant, you're apathetic, you're angry, you're creating a culture of that in your home. That's just the truth. Many times, and we do this lots and lots of ways, many times by not serving and loving our spouses. Listen, when you have an unappreciated wife and mother, that will go very badly in our homes. God has designed you to lift up your spouse. And we, for, when we kind of just forgo that role, things go badly. And we provoke our kids to anger in the long run. So the problem is us. So what provokes anger? <laughs> this could be like the rest of our time together about what provokes anger in the home. I'll say one, a few things here. I feel like expectations apart from the Bible provoke anger in our homes. What do we see here in Ephesians 6? That the role of children is to honor and obey. <laughs> it's to honor and obey their father and their mother. And I'll just tell you this, parents, that's very dangerous. Because if you're asking a two-year-old to drive the car and say honor and obey, they can't do that. And that's a kind of a crazy illustration, but many times we give our kids tasks they cannot handle. We say, you make straight A's, honor and obey. You love sports the way I love sports, honor and obey. Two-year-old, you be still for two and a half hours, honor and obey. Those things are impossible, and we are placing legalistic burdens on our children, and we wonder why they're provoked to anger. We wonder why we're provoked to anger when these little things can't do what we're asking them to do, right? Because we're giving these, these, these things they cannot possibly accomplish. Hypocrisy <laughs> provokes anger. Yes, you can have this right now. No, tomorrow. Yes, no, yes, no. Or be joyful as I yell at you, right? Hypocrisy in the home provokes anger. Laziness. I feel like half the times I yell at my kids, it's because I'm sitting on the couch. This is, this is a safe place, right? We're sitting on the couch saying, hey, hey, go get this for me right now. And they don't do it. But what are we teaching our kids? They're not our little servants. And so that provokes anger in them. A lack of grace. Golly, we sing these songs about what God has done in our life. He changes the leper spots. It's the first song we sang today. He changes the leper spots. The grace of God has changed the spots on the leper. He's changed us so radically and shown us so much grace. And we are so quick to jump on our kids. It's because we're forgetting the grace of God in our own lives and lack of patience. God's patient love over and over in our lives. So in short, angry, hypocritical, lazy, sinful, broken people provoke anger. So in short, we provoke anger, right? And we can all admit that. We can all raise our hands. Don't do it. But we can all admit that today. But listen, we confront our kids and we call them to honor and obey, we are literally going into a spiritual battle. Because there is this, if you have kids, you've seen this. They are born into sin. They are born into darkness. And many times 
We are fighting darkness with just more darkness. We're fighting disobedience with shame or with anger or with control. We're fighting darkness with darkness. But with the good news of the gospel, we can enter darkness with light. And we can show our kids through our words, through our actions, through our love, that there is a greater hope in the gospel. So so how do we begin to access this power? How do we begin to actually live this way? It's very, very simple. We'll leave the gospel. And if you've been to church at all, you've probably heard those, that phrase a million times. You've heard the phrase, just believe the gospel. Let's go to Ephesians 2. And this is where, like, as, as, a, as a preacher, when you get ready to preach a message, there's always like just part of that that you really want to preach. When you go to bed at night, you think about it. When you're getting ready, when you're driving. And for us as a church, as a, as a family of God today, this is where we need to perk up and listen where we need the power of God for salvation. So Ephesians 2, verse 1. How do we believe the gospel? Here it goes. Verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Hear this. You were dead. You weren't hurt. You weren't limping. You weren't angry. You weren't this. You were completely dead. And many of us in this room have... um, done religion, have gone to church, we kind of agree with God on some level, but we're still completely dead. If there is not true just some fruit of desire for God, some fruit of love, joy, patience, kindness in your life, there's a good chance you're just dead. You're just dead. And we can do all these things. You can come to Covenant Church every single week. You can turn down all these chairs. You can do all this stuff, give all this money, and you'll still be dead. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So church, hear this. We were born dead. We were born spiritually dead, and I believe many in this room are still spiritually dead. And I have prayed all week long that today the Spirit of God would speak to your heart, would speak life into your heart. So this first step to believe in the gospel is this right here. Admit you are incapable. Listen, a dead person can do nothing. Admit you are incapable. Church, even those made alive in Christ right now, we should admit we are incapable. It's in this realization of our brokenness and our failures that God actually begins to work. Listen, you don't need a method to parent better. You need a savior. You don't need a method to get over your addiction. You need a savior. You don't need a method to fix your finances. You need a savior. You don't need a method to get over your anger. You need a savior. Church, you need a savior. Some of this room right now, we are hiding And we have this method of covering up just our stuff. And we are so just, so scared to just kind of let our stuff out there. I'll tell you this right now. You desperately need a Savior. There is grace for you today. 
So we admit that we are incapable. You know, if that was just the Christian faith, that would not be good news. We should be really sad, emotional people. But here's the good news that keeps going. Ephesians 2, verse 4. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. But God. If you have walked with God and walked through stuff, you are a but God person. Where you see your life now and you just know but God. If it wasn't for God intervening and inter, just inter, intervening my life, we wouldn't be right here. We're but God people and we forget that so easily. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Listen, he didn't love you. He's not going to love you more when you clean yourself up. He loves you even when you were completely dead and useless. That's good news. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Hear this, church. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Thank goodness. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The next step in believing the gospel is to trust in Jesus' finished work. To simply trust in his finished work. Hear this. This is the good news of the gospel. But here's what's so good about this news. It doesn't matter where you are today. It is good news for you today. You could say, Jason, you have no idea what's going on in my life, in my parenting, in my life. You have no idea. But here's what I do know. But God, he is rich in mercy towards you today. There's nothing you can do except say, I need God. That's what it is. There is good news for you today. So we admit we are incapable. Next, we trust in Jesus' work. But it doesn't end there. See, many times we think the Christian faith is this right here. We have this kind of one-time decision. We admit faith. We, we admit we need a Savior. We confess faith in Christ. And then we say, let's get to work from there. God, thank you for my salvation. Thank you for dying for my sins. I'm good from here. I'm going to go ahead and go, and I'll see you in heaven. That's how we live our lives. But it doesn't end right there. Look at, look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the last step is this right here. We walk in Jesus' finished work. But hear this. We don't walk in our own works now. It's not that we're like, Jesus paid for our past sins. Jesus' work is for us for all of life. And so we walk in his finished work. And this is why parenting is such a great tool in our sanctification. Because I am the guy who yesterday yelled at my kid in an unloving way. I am completely that guy. But I'm also completely the person who that sin was paid for. And I can be aware of that sin. I can cry out to my father to forgive me my sin, and it's forgiven. I confess that to my son Hayes, and I am free. 
Does that make sense? We are free people bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, in parenting, there's this picture of we continually lay down your desires, right? You lay down your money for sure. Desires, you lay down your money, your time. For many of our ladies, your body giving birth, all these things you just kind of lay out there. You wring yourself out for your kids. And it's one of the few places in the world where that's still kind of celebrated. Do you understand, like, we live in the age where, like, independence and your enjoyment and comfort and comfort is, like, the highest thing we can achieve. And kids just fly in the face of that. They just fly in the face of those things. And so it's this picture of just giving your life over and over, the sacrifice over and over for their good. It's the picture of Jesus. Does that make sense? When we sacrificially live and love the gospel in front of our kids, we are living in the way of Jesus. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And we buy this lie that if we go this way, away from God, towards our own comfort, there's this deeper joy, deeper pleasures. Hear this, parents, as you're tired, as you're weary, as you're worn out, as you live out the gospel for your kids, there is greater joy than these short-term things that we actually want. And I think also because of this, because we see this work on the cross and him rising from the tomb as like paying for our eternal salvation, which is true, it paid for our eternal salvation. And we think of being kind, patient with your spouse, loving with your kids. It's kind of like these kind of small things. Hear this. One of the things I learned over my sabbatical, because I had two, two and a half months where I, I wasn't going to work every day. And so I'd have the excuse when I was with my kids that, well, I'm just tired from work. I had no excuses at that moment. None. I was like reading the Bible all day. And so like you have like no excuse at that point. And I still found myself, and I was reading this passage in the Gospels about how um, the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. And here's the truth. That mountain for me is being loving, being kind, being patient. It takes a supernatural work to live this out among your kids. It takes a supernatural work for us to live this out with our spouses. It's a supernatural work for us to live out this faith. So we desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the primary work of Christian parents. So, you know, many times I give myself a lot, like we're not doing this, we're not doing this, we're not doing this. Fathers, mothers, the primary work in your home is not some event you plan with your kids. Not some Bible study you're doing every certain time of the day. It's not some great vacation. The primary work you're doing is living with the joy of the gospel at the forefront of your home. And what's going to happen, your kids are going to see that. And it's going to make them understand the gospel is actually real. The gospel made daddy, where he used to always yell at my seatbelt, be a little more patient and kind. The gospel is real, people. It's real in my life. I'm a more patient, more graceful person than I was five years ago. But I'm still not patient or graceful, right? But the gospel, and the gospel works. It truly works. And so we live this out with our kids, and we create these homes full of joy. Where they see Jesus is Lord, and his kingdom is real in our lives. That's the work we're talking about. It's just kind of all of life lived out where they can see it. So what happens is, but there are some functional things that we do as parents. So we live this out 
this joy of the gospel at the forefront right in front of them, this living picture of the gospel story in their life. We have that. That's the primary way. But there's still work to do. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. It's our last point. Do not bring children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Think about Jesus. You're bringing them up in the ways of Jesus. Think about how he discipled the disciples. He wasn't always teaching every Tuesday. Most of his teaching was done in correcting the disciples' false beliefs. Where they'd go try to heal and cast out demons, they couldn't do it, so he would tell them how to do it. Most of your instruction is not going to be your Tuesday night and Thursday night Bible study. Most of your instruction is going to happen when your kids will not share. Most of it happens when they talk back to you. Most of it happens when they're scared of something. It happens in the moments of life. So we come in and we discipline. We discipline, which is really just correction. Discipline is not punishment. Hear this. And at uh, Luke and Leighton and Lydia's dad's funeral, one of them said this about their, their father and how he disciplined. He always told them, this is not punishment for your sin because that was taken care of at the cross. But there is a consequence to your sin. So we're teaching our kids there are consequences to sin. But do not teach your kids. This is, there was one punishment, and that was on the cross. Jesus took their sin on the cross. So we teach our kids the gospel as we do life, as we discipline. We tell them, you have sinned against God. And we lovingly tell them, because you disobeyed, Jesus died on the cross. That sounds harsh, but they need that truth. And they know that they were loved so much that he died on the cross for their sins. And then we give them the hope of the gospel, that he was raised anew. And we give our kids that hope. Then instruction. We teach them the gospel. Parenting to the Lord is much less about the things we plan and do and more about who we are in front of them. But we do have to instruct them. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. If I could give you just kind of one takeaway. Remember, you don't need a method, you need a savior. But if there's one takeaway, shoot for once a week. Every week we give you this little devotional guide as a church. Take it home and begin to walk with your kids through this. And the point is not to have some like organized, great thing. Because here's the truth. It will go terrible. Just a full disclosure. It's going to be very, very hard. They're not going to listen. They're going to jump around. But what you're saying You're putting your cards on the table and saying, this for our family is important. And then from there, your kids begin to ask questions. And that's when you go to work. You're not going to have, you know, these Billy Graham moments where you're preaching to your kids, like, oh, yes, I need Jesus, Father. That's probably not going to happen. But you know what will happen? As you discipline them, they're going to learn to see that Jesus is good. As they're scared and you're reminded that God's in control, what you're really doing with your kids in all of life and discipleship, As God does his work in you, right? As he is teaching you the gospel, as you're believing the gospel and you're processing yourself, how God saved you and and now you live full of joy, all you're doing is teaching your kids the same thing. You say, so I tell Hayes, I'm sorry that I lashed out at you. Jesus died on the cross for daddy's sins too. But now daddy has hope because my sins are paid for. And I can come to you and I can have forgiveness from you and I can live in joy now. That means nothing to my kids right now. But as we faithfully do this in the unseen, 
the miraculous unseen of God's work he's doing in our hearts, you're going to one day look up, imagine this. We're going to have a church full of 16-year-old and 20-year-old and 25-year-old men and women who just have a heart for people because they have a heart of God. And they see brokenness, and they go and they work on this brokenness in ways you never could have imagined through you faithfully confessing your sins to your children, through you faithfully disciplining, not out of shame, but out of love, through you faithfully teaching the gospel to them on Tuesday nights. It's all these unseen, miraculous things. And here's how, how good God is. As you do this thing, it's not just for your kids' good. God's sanctifying you as well, making you more patient, more loving, more kind, more joyful. He's doing the work in your heart as well. So as we faithfully just kind of lay all our stuff at God's feet and we love his children, we love his church, we're doing a mighty, mighty work. So parents... Mothers, fathers, grandparents, family, friends who are tired today, there is good news for you. There's good news today, no matter where you are. And we're going to pray in a second, and we're going to sing some more songs, and we're going to dedicate more kids. But I'll tell you this. If God is prompting in your heart to do something, find somebody. Find Luke. Find myself. Write on a card that you just want to discover the gospel in a deeper way. Let us know how we can encourage you how we can serve you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your good news. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Dear Lord, let us see how much we need you this morning. Let us see how desperate, how weak, how fragile we are, but how good and sovereign and in control you are. Father, let us put our hope and our trust in you this morning. Let us not uh, just see today as a a family activity or as just a, a way to celebrate a milestone, but let us see today as a way to be made alive. Father, we desperately need you this morning. Make yourself known to us, Lord. Bring us life pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God sent His Son They called Him
but great.